All joking aside, membership's a big deal because uh, committing ourselves to be the body of Christ together is really central to the message of 1 John. And over uh, the next four weeks, Pastor Lydia kicked us off last week, we're starting a sermon series or continuing a sermon series about the basics of the faith, about how do we live out the things we believe. Our scripture today is uh, 1 John chapter 2, verses 1 through 11 in the Passion Translation, a newer version uh, that brings it some different... Uh, iterations of the Greek to life. Each week over this series, we're going to be preaching a different chapter. So next week, Pastor Raul is going to do chapter 3 of 1 John, if you want to be reading ahead. I'm going to be teaching today on chapter 2 of 1 John. So this is from the Passion Translation. You are my dear children, John writes, and I write these things to you so that you won't sin. But if anyone does sin, we continually have a forgiving Redeemer who is face to face with the Father, Jesus Christ, the Righteous One, He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. Here's how we can be sure that we've truly come to know God if we keep his commands. If someone claims I've come to know God by experience, it doesn't keep God's commands. He's a phony, and the truth finds no place in him. But the love of God will be perfected within the one who obeys God's word. We can be sure that we've truly come to live in intimacy with God, not just by saying I'm intimate with God, but by walking in the footsteps of Jesus. Beloved ones, I'm not writing a new commandment to you, but an old one that you've had from the beginning, and you've already heard it. Yet in a sense, it is a new commandment, as its truth is made manifest both in Christ and in you, because the darkness is disappearing, and the true light is already blazing Anyone who says, I'm in the light while holding hatred in his heart toward a fellow believer is still in the darkness. But the one who truly loves a fellow believer lives in the light, and there is nothing in him that will cause someone else to stumble. But whoever hates a fellow believer lives in the darkness, stumbling around in the dark with no clue where he is going, for he is blinded by the darkness. This is the word of God for us, God's people. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for some moments ahead to consider what it means to be a church who walks in the light, a people committed to knowing you, to obeying you, to being in relationship with you and others. And God, from these pillars of knowing and obeying and relating, would you move us to be people who are being changed, being formed into your likeness? And God, just draw us closer together to you, to each other. We want to know you. We want to experience you. We want to be freed by your love to enter into our world with new truth, new joy, new intimacy. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Well, uh, like I mentioned, we're in a new series, uh, Love God, Love Others, the story of 1 John. And uh, as you look at the image of the series, which is also on your bulletin, for those of you online, it's on your screen, the intentionality of our communications department, every one of the series graphics, they design on purpose. We have artists who we meet with them and share as pastors what we're thinking, and we study the Bible together, and we have artists who work at Bethany, and then they kind of take it and they deliver back uh, where they think God is, is, is leading for the series. And I love it, not just because there's salmon on the graphic. Um, but uh, the intentionality of these four words to change a life that is the center point of all imagery. Love God, love others. And then the, the creation is emanating out from there. And you see, you know, you see the salmon, you see the flowers, you see the forest and the trees. And then you see the Holy Spirit kind of going out to all of creation. And the intentionality of the imagery is that these four words are meant to be the center point. 
these four words are meant to uh, build a life upon. And though these four words can seem trite if we put it on a bumper sticker or you know, put it on our arm or wherever, you know, it's the living out of these four words that creation is changed, that creation is changed, that the whole world is changed through these four words. And I know it's like, okay, it's a little simplistic in that way, but this is the message of John, getting really concrete, focusing on the center point, and believing that as these words in the middle are lived in the life of God's people, that all of creation is transformed. So our, our message today is about discipleship and how do we live this message. The, the, the title of our message, the second one in the series, is called Disciples Matter or Matters of Discipleship. And as we consider what it means to think about our lives as disciples, John is going to give some really concrete blocks in the second chapter. He gives this, you know, about knowing and obeying and relating about knowing and obeying and relating, that there are things that we can know and obey in how we live and how we relate to each other that really is the basics. It's kind of a back to the, back to the, the basics uh, modality that John wants to encourage. And John was writing this, um, preaching it more than likely, as opposed to one of Paul's letters. It was like, hey, you in Rome, I want you to believe certain things, and so I've penned this thing. We now have what's called Romans. Or one of the Gospels, it's like Matthew's pinned up. He's like, I'm writing this to a Jewish audience. I want you to know through the Spirit of God what Jesus' character is like. But this First John is really different. It's a sermon meant to embolden followers who are drifting away back to the basics. Saying there are things that we can build a life upon. These four words, love God, love others. Last week, Pastor Lydia kicked us off really well at chapter one. If you miss it, you can listen in. You can also read the text. Just talking about confession and just about being real and unveiling ourselves, unmasking ourselves for the sake of God to transform us. And you're gonna hear that a lot at Bethany and we're gonna strive to, to live into it as your leaders. But it's, you know, it's the integration of how we live out the message that we actually are transformed more into Christ's image. That's why confession is so important because for those of us all through the church, fathers and mothers, young and old, retired and high school students, we say, hey, there are, there's things that I've missed in trying to obey God, but as I confess them and bring them into the light, Christ can take my life and change me. He can, he can encourage me. Now, when I was growing up, I had heard a lot about Jesus. I'd heard a lot of talk about the power of God and was, was raised in a, in a religious home. And my parents are still Christians, are great people. I love them, I honor them. Um, was fortunate enough that extended family, uh, particularly on one side of my family, really talked a lot about faith. Like I was brought to church as a young person. Like it was all good. But there was a disconnect for me and how does it become real? Like the things that people talk about, I wanted to see as a young man struggling with faith, how is it lived out in people's lives? And it's not because I was trying to be overly judgmental, but every one of us in the room, and particularly our young ones, this is why the faith of the young ones is so important, because they with fresh eyes want to investigate the claims of the gospel. And kind of newer, and some of you are new to faith, some of you are young, you know, and some of you are old and new to faith, but it's this fresh eyes of like, what is the gospel of Jesus Christ, and 
How does it change lives of people around me? And it's this combination of the things that we believe, orthodoxy, lived out in God's people, orthopraxy. It's in that combination that John is saying, this is what the basics are. It's what we know, it's what we live and how we obey, and that changes our relationships. And I will tell you that I'm, I'm on the journey with you because for all of us, there's a disconnect. There are things that are easier to, to believe than to actually live. But if it, it's this quest for me as a young man where I was like, I wanna see lives transform. You all are talking about religion. What does it actually do in a life like mine? And luckily, because sometimes it takes an outside voice outside of a family system to kind of live the values. That's why evangelism is so important because our kids will often tune out from familiar voices, but as they see faith lived and transforming an outside light, oftentimes it, it, it looks more attractional to them. And for me, I was so fortunate that I had a, I had a youth leader, a young life leader who came and just walked with me. But there was something in his life that was so different than other people around me. I saw people around me on the Cooper Point where I live just chasing upward mobility, and I saw emptiness. And I saw people, frankly, sometimes that were in the church, but I didn't see transformed relationships. And luckily for me, I met a young man who just decided to pour into my life. He was older, he was in his 20s, I was in high school, just said, hey, it's the stuff we know and how we obey and relate to one another that actually makes us Christians. And I saw it lived out in his life. So this is why our discipleship matters. This is why disciples matter so much. And all of us will have blind spots. That's why we come back to confession to say there's places that I've missed. There's things that are broken. That happens collectively. It happens individually. It's been quite a week of violence around the country. And I, I had uh, a couple days of a prayer retreat, and in the midst of it, uh, Tyree Nichols' uh, death video was released, and multiple mass shootings in California, and I mean, the, the world's darkness was on full display. And with a soccer dad on the sideline yesterday, who's a prosecuting attorney, not necessarily a person of faith, but, you know, he said, is the world just getting worse, or does it just feel like it? Because every time there's a shooting in Seattle, he and his department go out and investigate it. So we're mindful of the darkness as Christians. We're not, our, head, our heads aren't in the sand, but we're also trying to draw into like in the midst of the darkness, there is a light of Christ. And we can know it and we can be transformed by it. And this combination of orthodoxy and orthopraxy is our unique witness. And so in, in that regard, I want us to kind of focus on these three key elements of discipleship today because the life of disciples is so key to John, the back to the basics message. We're going to talk about knowing God, which is kind of the, the ontology. We're going to talk about the obedience of God, how our beliefs become practice, and then ultimately relationships. And that's going to tee up a chapter three, which Raul will center on next week, because it is relationships with John, which is such a center point for the life of faith, that we can't believe things and not let it transform our relationships one to another, with believers, with the church, in our families, with our extended families, in our workplaces. We should live differently. So we're going to dive in here to the first part here is about 
is about knowing God. How do we know God? And we've got these three elements here. Discipleship matters, matters of discipleship, knowing God, the knowing God. And I want to look at the, the first four verses of knowing God here from 1 John 4. And I've got the Passion Translation, just a different wrinkle. You can read along behind me. Most of us don't carry that. All of the different iterations we read in English, as we know, are translations of the Greek. And so the Passion is just a fresh, a freshening up of it. I like some of the language. So what knowing God matters here for John in first four verses, he says, you're my dear children. I write these things to you so that you won't sin. But if anyone does sin, because we all do, we continually have a forgiving redeemer who's face to face with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He's the sacrifice for our sins, not ours, but the whole world, that kind of redemption of all creation. And here's we can be sure that we've come to know him if we keep his commands. If someone cl- claim I've come to know God by experience, it doesn't keep God's commands, he's a phony, and the truth finds no place in him. Often the NIV will translate that word as liar, that they're not living their values, that orthodoxy and the orthopraxy are divorced, and we're not living by what we know. So what John starts here, he starts his first verse, dear children or little ones. It's this term of endearing love. It's used seven times in 1 John, um, but only a few times in the rest of the, of the New Testament. It's really important because the perspective as John talks about confession and about sin and brokenness is a, a pastor and the best ones, not our earthly pastors that climb for power or deal with, like, he's like, oh no, like the heavenly father. I'm writing to you to t- talk about sin and talk about obeying God and about transformation, but I do it out of a perspective of love. And when we start to preach and lead from a perspective of shame, we've missed the mark of talking about the father heart of God. So what John is anchoring us here in the first verse of chapter two is to say like little children, little ones, like the people that I love, I've planted these churches, probably a bunch of churches in Ephesus. And again, this is more of a sermon than a letter or, or a gospel. It's gonna get circular and have these themes. So he's like, he's preaching. He's like, hey, I want you to know I love you. And I know that the world has worn you down. He's talking 2,000 years ago, but you can kind of hear him today. And things are really hard in the church to kind of focus on the center point. And there's these false teachings called Gnosticism and Docetism and people are drifting, but I, I love you. You're like children to me. And I want us to, I want us to be a family. And that, it's that voice through First John that we have to continually come back to. Because when we start to talk about orthopraxy and obedience and sin and confession, for a lot of us, we can start to kind of pull out. Or for some of us, we start to lean in. We do this. You're bad. <laughs> You're bad. Like we just, oh, finally, Scott's going to talk about sin. Good. Because unless we start wagging the finger in here, like we're missing out. But it's, it's not like that in John. It's like, I love you. You're my people but I'm worried about us as a group, he's saying. Again, 2,000 years ago, it could be very fresh today. He says, if you don't live the knowledge that you have in your head, you're a a phony, you're a liar, you're you're missing it. Verse four, anyone who doesn't keep the commands is, is a phony. It's essential for us as a faith community to be integrating what we know and how we obey or behave that our orthodoxy and our orthopraxy must be knitted together as God's people. 
He says, we've got to get back to the commands. Now, this is really interesting. And Pastor Richard, as we studied this week, he was with us. Um, and he was saying, and I really agreed with him. He says, as he goes out and teaches around the world, because he preaches for Bethany about 20 times a year, but he's still going around the world doing preaching and teaching. And he says, the trick with commands is depending on which kind of uh, sect or denomination or you know, kind of affinity group people have different value on different commands, depending, you know, like which church or that, that fellowship group is like, oh, well, this is the most important commands to keep. Jesus called the greatest command loving God and loving others, but it's the how. How do we do that? And there's the negative commands like don't do this, don't do that, but also the positive commands. You should be caring for the marginalized, caring for obedience, living our values. And so imagine for a moment, like I, I gave you a hundred list of commands for the scripture and I'd say, hey, stack rank them. Like put the, num- the one on top that's the most important for you, for your family, for the church, and go all the way down to the bottom. The ones that are like, well, it's in there. It's in here, but it's not that important, right? Like we're going to have really different stacks when we're done. Because depending on your alignment, for some it's sexual sin and the right to life, maybe the death penalty, like that's gonna be top 10. Like that's absolutely, the Bible's really clear about that. But for others of us, it's gonna be really different. It's gonna be care for marginalized people and God's big welcome for all, maybe the environment, different things. And these influence the way we read the scriptures, certainly the way that we relate to one another and the way that we vote and all sorts of things. But for John, he says the importance is knowing him and then that integration of the knowledge becoming lived out in our life. And then because relationships are so central to this book, we're going to have to hold a lot of grace for each other because the way that we know God is different from our own experience. John uses this word knowing. It's a Greek word, gnosko. It's used all over chapter two, but he's like the gnosko is really different than what we think of oftentimes in a Western mindset of just knowledge alone. Because for the Greek language, gnosko is to be aware, to to know something and to feel it, to know something and to perceive it, to speak of, to truly understand it. And so what John's saying is it's really important for us to know Jesus and to have that knowledge be transformative for the way in which we live. The knowledge to obedience to relationships, the three pillars of chapter two but you're my children, I love you. It's the pastor's voice. He's written all over this thing. He says in verse 12, you're forgiven. He says in verse 13, I want you to know that you already know him who's from the beginning. He's, he's trying to both challenge their lack of action, but also build into them a confidence that they do know God, that they're not so far off. And he's calling them back to live anchored in that gnosko, that knowing God which you can build a life upon. It's really, really important to know God. It's the center point of knowing God, but a knowledge that emanates into our loving God. When we say love God, love others, we mean love from a place of knowing God. That's actually a Hebrew word. To know something was a very intimate and even sexual word. You know, they knew each other. It's a word of incredible intimacy. And if we love God, and we're seeking to know him, it's gonna have all sorts of implications to the way that we live. Uh, Fuller scholar, a woman named Marilyn May Thompson, uh, who 
has Bethany roots earlier in her scholarship. She says that 1 John is so powerful because orthodoxy, correct belief, and orthopraxy, correct practice, are knitted together. She writes, one cannot know the truth and fail to do the truth. One cannot do the truth without knowing the truth. There's a far more richer and more integrated view of the Christian life than many Christians hold. And I love that integration. She continues, to walk in the light is to shape one's whole being, one's actions and decisions and thoughts and beliefs by the, by the one who is the light. He wants us to be conformed with his character and with his heart. So, knowing God is so, so, so important. And from this perspective of walking in the light, things will be revealed. As a family, uh, I told you one time I spent six months driving around the country and I got to Florida and my parents flew in and one side of my family liked to go on cruise ships. And so we went and we got on a cruise ship in Florida and we sailed to Puerto Rico and then we went to the Southern Caribbean. And for a guy who'd been living in his van for six months, this was heaven. Like food, a bed, a shower, like who knew? And we got to Puerto Rico and it was like the show. Like I'm not a big cruise guy, but the people that are into him, you know, there's the shows at night. So we pile into the auditorium and it's the Puerto Rico cultural show. And so out come the dancers, the male and female and like the, you know, the Latinx culture is just dripping with beauty and sensuality and, you know, people are wearing bikinis and sequins and there's drummers and dancers and fire and it's just all this is going on. It's Puerto Rico and they're dancing and it's, you know, we were in the front row because my family was like gung-ho about the Puerto Rico show. I'm, you know, 22 years old, not as gung-ho. We'd been traveling. Well, we look over, like, look at grandma. Grandma is front row center, dead asleep. And dead asleep, mouth wide open like catching flies. So we get to the culminating point of the Puerto Rico heritage show and all of a sudden, like the star dancer, lots of sequence, not much clothing. That's as much I need to tell you. Comes out and it's the song and it's the Puerto Rico and then boom, the spotlight. The problem was we were sitting front row center and grandma was dead asleep, eye, like head back. So as the spotlight hit the dancer, it illuminated my grandma's sleeping head. <laughs> So this woman's like pouring her heart out about, you know, the cultural things about Puerto Rico. And all most of us could see was grandma's head asleep, you know, emboldened on the back wall. It was hilarious and beautiful. And we still owe that dancer a huge apology. What's the point? The spotlight reveals things. And the spotlight brings things to bear. And the spotlight, John says, is really important. Because it's this move from the stuff we know to how we live or obedience that we've got to bring back as a church because it's going to be the basis for what next week is going to be centered in relationships because John is such a relational book. So let me touch briefly upon the second point of our outline. I'm going to get caught up here in a moment. Obedience really matters. Obedience in 1 John is really key. It's the orthopraxy. It's the walking in the light. It's the making a home in the faith. It's the stuff as a church that's like, Hey, how do we actually practice the stuff that we believe? So in verses 5, 6, 7, and 8 of 1 John 2, John writes, The love of God will be perfected within the one who obeys God's word. We can be sure that we've truly come to live in intimacy with God, not just by saying I'm intimate, but by walking in the footsteps of Jesus. Beloved, I'm not writing a new command, but an old one you've had from the beginning. You've heard it, yet in a sense it is new, as the truth is made different in Jesus because the darkness is disappearing and the true light is already blazing. And John's point here is that obedience is that linking up. 
from the stuff we know to how we relate to one another. And John is not trying to sugarcoat it. He's saying, like, as a church, it's, like, it's on us. Like, we can, we can sit around in small groups and open the word, but it's as we go into our lives with a new dedication and a new heart to live it out. The Greek word here for obedience is this really cool word, tereo, which is to obey. Okay, I get it. That's our English translation. This is where Greek is really interesting, and this was the language that it was, that it was first penned in, is tereo means not to obey, sure, but it means to guard something from loss or injury by keeping our eyes upon to prevent something from escaping. It has almost military um, meanings. It means to hold fast and to keep watch. So when we obey, like I know it's like, oh, I, I don't love that word, but how about this? It's like the significant word, obedience is keeping watch. It's persevering and preserving the truth of God's love, Present, uh, prevent it rather from escaping. Marilyn May Thompson again. Knowledge of God is not a sort of vague, unformed, abstract, undefinable private experience, though it's extremely personal. Knowledge of God may express itself in a variety of ways, but knowledge of God expresses itself in obedience, and obedience is always measured by concrete actions. So as a church, we certainly know we're saved by grace alone, and so knowing that grace, being held by that Father's heart is so central. We can't just start doing the work without that transformation. But that linking up between the orthodoxy and orthopraxy is really key for the church to regain its witness because your family is watching how you behave more than what you believe. Your coworkers, the people at your bus stop or on the soccer sideline or the people that we live with, they want to know we're human, that we can tell them that we fail because we do and we're transformed by God alone. But it's as we continue to pursue a, a, a life of obedience, a life of preserving that love God, love others at its core that's so important. And as you study First John 2 this week, you're gonna see there's both like, hey, withdraw from things that are trying to steal that loving God and love others. Withdraw from that. The stuff that you're, you know, that's sinful, that's trying to steal God's image in your life, the stuff you're looking at or the stuff that you're, contrib- like pull away from that. And also, lean into practices of obedience that fuel your intimacy with God. So it's a, both a pulling away and a leaning in, but it's active. It, it's, it's rich with verbs. It's rich with like, let's guard together, let's preserve together the center point of our faith, that we are the little children, that we're called to love God. How do we love God? We obey we move from knowing to obedience. We, we synthesize, we integrate. And it's this great integration as a church that we get our witness back because we become people on fire. We become people transformed by the love of God. And it happens like an athlete from a result of hundreds and even thousands of small decisions. Heather and I are going on vacation next weekend. We are going to the island of Oahu. And I'm sorry to just drop that on you. But I looked at myself in the mirror today and I just said, I wish I would have started about six months ago, right? It's like, you know, you kind of like, you know, and it's like, there's no magic tool to like fix this. So it's like, all right, got to make some different practices at play. In the same way, in our faith, like we're saved in a moment and transformed in a lifetime. And our faith is the result of thousands of small decisions, like an athlete who wants to be excellent or a pastor who wants to look great on the beaches of Oahu. It's, 
not something you can just do in a moment. It's a process we've got to be committed to. So that's the journey that we're inviting you into together. That we're a group of people practicing what we preach. Obedience matters. Shame, not good. We're not saying that, but invitation to the journey together. Invitation to practice together. We started this church with this mantra, be the church. It's not a building, it's a people. And now 11 years later, we're like, it's a people, but maybe a building too. So you can pray with us for the building because we went hard on like not a building, though we're looking hard and there's a work group of Bethany uh, North people that are like participating greatly to like, let's find a space for us. But it is a people. It is a being. It is a becoming. Disciples matter. And a disciple is one in the act of becoming more like their leader. So we all with unveiled faces, need to say, Jesus, make me more like you. Change me. Reveal to me the dark spots and move me from the stuff that I gnosko to the stuff that I tereo and I guard and I practice and I cultivate like master gardeners planting seeds of beauty in our lives. And when we do that, we move into this final thing, which is about relationships. First John has so much to say about relationships relationships matter so much. Look at verses 9 through 11 here as I wrap up. Anyone who says, I'm in the light while holding hatred in his heart toward a fellow believer is actually still in darkness. But the one who loves a fellow believer, oh, they live in the light, and there's nothing in him that will cause someone else to stumble. But whoever hates a fellow believer lives in darkness, stumbling around in the dark with no clue where he's going because he's blinded by the darkness. What an interesting phrase John puts together there, blinded by the darkness. It's like, oh, no, no, we're blinded by light, but we're often blinded by darkness. So next week, as we consider chapter three, and we really like, how do we become unblinded by darkness? How do we actually love each other better? I want to challenge us that we have work to do in our relationships We've recently been taking a survey of all Bethany members, attenders, whatever. It's in your bulletin. Shameless plug. Would love, love to hear from you. We need more people from 70 and above. We actually have a few voices doing it. We need more people 25 and younger. We need more voices of color. We, we need everyone. And I can't tell you everything we're learning right now, but I will give you like kind of a spoiler. The places of self-reporting where we're flourishing the least or languishing even is our relationships. We feel cut off from one another. For some of us, that's our marriages. For some of us, it's with our parents or with our children. For many of us, it's in the family of faith. And it's hard, right? Like Because relationships are the hardest things that we have to work to be in obedience towards. But Jesus wants our relationships to be transformed. He wants us to not be blinded by darkness and to move into this place where the gnosko to the tereo, the knowing to the obedience eventuates in changed relationships. Can't solve it in a moment, but like an athlete or a pastor going to Hawaii, it's thousands of small decisions that we can be committed to together. We want this place to be a place of deep relationship. And I know in some regards, it's been hard. But that's why we want to encourage you. No guilt, but all invitation. Is it a group that we just launched last week, this week? Join a group. 
to volunteering here because as you volunteer in the lives of others, you often experience more of God's freshness in your own heart? Is it just in individual relationships? Like, hey, I haven't seen you for a while. You gonna wanna get coffee this week? Like, the world changes when two Christians sit and have coffee because we're saying, I wanna know you. I wanna know where you're struggling to be obedient and can we go deeper together? I, I, uh, last week, chapter one, I ran into a small group leader and he said, you know, what you guys talked about last week, chapter one, obedience and confession, our small group has met for 10 years, but Sunday night was different because we sat around in a circle and we took off our masks and we said, I'm struggling, we're struggling, my kid is struggling. And he said, then the freedom flew, flowed and, and tears flowed. He said, 10 years, man, Sunday night, transformation happened. So let's lean in to these practices of relating better together. And again, this is really teeing up next week in chapter three. My great hope as your leader is that you would be known here, that you would be seeking to know, but that you would also be known and cared for, and that we would be obedient, guarding God's love together into deeper, transformed relationships. I'm gonna call the band. And I'm going to pray in just a moment. I want to tell you one little snippet because God's really been speaking to me. I spent a couple of days in prayer and um, I've had two different kind of moments in prayer where I really felt the Spirit of God sharing a word that he wanted to share with you. And in my prayer time, I often will spend time with Jesus. I use this imagination practice where I'm in a boat with Jesus. If that sounds weird to you, just stay with Scott was with Jesus. And in my prayer time, I felt like the Lord wanted to take me somewhere. We ended up on this island, and Jesus said, the island is for your enjoyment. It's part of a story that I'm going to tell at a different time. But on the island, I said to the Lord, Lord, it's really hard to have relationship right now. It's hard to have koinonia, is the word John uses, fellowship all over chapter one. It's hard to have koinonia because we have different commands that we're aligning to. And the people just kind of keep getting fractured off and there's you know this violence in america and all these detrimental forces and i was quite discouraged but it's great to pray and share your heart with the lord and i was like i'm actually a little mad i'm mad because we're trying to build this faith family relationships and it's, it feels difficult and jesus brought me on this place the island a couple things happened one I saw this picture of Jesus just holding my children. And as a parent who wants to do better to see faith transmitted in the next generation, just seeing him holding my kids was so beautiful. So parents, be praying for your kids every day. And then Jesus led me to the top of this island. And it felt like kind of a solitary place. And I was saying, our relationships are really fractured. He said, come here, I want to show you something. And from that center point of the island, I looked out over he said there's more islands than you can ever count or imagine and i'm the god of the unity and the new thing and it was beautiful it's like that story from kings where elijah says to his servant open his eyes and there was an army on the hills all around him i opened my eyes and this island that felt a little bit lonely it was like there was actually thousands of islands and jesus says i want to do a new work of relationship so know me, obey me, 
relate to me and each other. If we can get these building blocks back, we can rebuild this church for a light for the nations. You pray with me now, Jesus. Thank you so much for this encouragement from your scriptures. And we, God, we just appreciate the really simple, tactile words from 1 John. So God, stir your people up now. Stir them up to know you in new ways and experience your great love. Stir them up to be knitting together in integration, the stuff they believe and the practices of their life. God, where confession is important, allow them to continue to confess forces that have been stealing your light. And God, where there's this new invitation to practicing faith in new ways, God, speak to each one of us and give us next steps. And God, create in us a yearning to relate one to another. And God, would you encourage us then with that next step to grab coffee with someone this week or to text a a fellow believer we haven't seen for a while or to join a group or on and on and on. God, just give us a step where we can feel less alone, that we can be reminded you're the God of the new unity, loving you, loving each other, all of it together as we're people of your church. We love you so, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen.